KCR FM New York. This is Jazz Alternatives. I'm Mitch Goldman. It's Monday night, and you know, when you're lucky, you get it just right on a Monday night, and you tune into 89.9. We do this thing called Deep Focus. And what we do, we have a guest in the studio, a musician, and uh, they select a shaping influence group that's very significant to them. Maybe it's somebody they played with or somebody who influenced them on their instrument or in their craft or just something they love. And uh, they give me the challenge of finding some live unreleased recordings from the vast WKCR archives. And by gum, tonight's one of those nights. Our guest tonight, I'm very happy to introduce Oren Blodow here in the studio. Oren, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me, Mitch. Now, I have friends who might be listening from way, way back who, we'll get that worked out, Uh, friends from way, way back who probably are thinking, uh, when they hear the name of the act that we're going to be talking about tonight, that I asked every musician in town, and I just kept bugging them all to do this show until somebody said yes, but that's not what happened, because I asked you who we're going to talk about. And the first band out of your mouth is one of my all-time favorites. So please tell us what we're going to listen to. Well, we're going to do our deep focus on Defunct. We are indeed. We are indeed. Now, there might be people who have never heard of Defunct. What can we tell them to just uh, open the door? Well, geez. I mean, if I was trying to explain Defunct to somebody that just had no idea... Um, I would certainly talk about it differently than if I spoke about it to someone who had some idea. If the person was kind of a jazzer and they were knowledgeable about jazz and um, they were aware of Lester Bowie who was in the earlier incarnations of the group and whose brother Joe Bowie was the front man and, and guiding principal of the group, then you know I, I might connect it to that. Um, and, you know, there's so much not being, you know, a musicologist and, you know, just there are so many holes in my education. There's so much that could be said about the, the backgrounds of all the key contributors of the, of the group. Um, but, you know, it's also, uh, regardless of the incredible jazz credentials of the people that worked in the group, it's also, you know, kind of, um, uh, uh, very much uh, 
you know, the the place where everybody would be dancing and having a real counterculture experience in the downtown and underground scene in New York in the, you know, certainly starting around the turn of the 80s and, and was a really big uh, festival and stuff uh, attraction in Europe for a long time without really breaking out to be a, an overground success in the United States. But as as your listenership will hear, um, there's, it's, it's, you know, there's singing and tunes and it's in many and ways, beat. yeah, it, in many ways it, 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 it's, you know, it's not uh, avant-garde jazz, even though. And it, yet. <laughs> yeah, even though the roots are, are, are there. Yeah. Well, I guess you could say you could uh, engage with it on lots of different levels, and different people came at it in different ways. If you listen to the lyrics, you're going to have a whole other experience. If you're uh, watching Joe Bowie uh, shake it on stage, you're going to be thinking about something else. Yeah. If you uh, try to unpack everything that's happening among the guitars, you'll uh, <laughs> you'll you'll probably be pretty confused. Yeah. And uh, or thrilled, and uh, so yeah, it's kind of like eleven different bands on stage at one time. That I can say, it's funny. It's another one of these intersection points. You and I, and I know a lot of other people, um, but you and me in particular had this experience with this band as. Um, and you were talking about early '80s, but I'm happy to say, sidebar, Joseph Bowie, and Defunct still a living thing. And still playing with some of these same musicians, uh, although he lived in Europe for a number of years. But uh, that is that little fact alone is something that one might have, might not have expected to be able to say in 2016 from the perspective of 1981. Let's say, yeah. But happy to say it is the case. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think our focus uh, for you and for me and for tonight. It was that moment of uh, newness and discovery in this collision that happened in this music. Yeah. And uh, maybe it's still going. But uh, yeah, Deep Focus tonight with R and Blowed Out on the band Defunct. Should we just jump right in there? Do it, Mitch. <laughs> We're here with you till 9 p.m. tonight. Music from Defunct, Joseph Bowie and Defunct on WKCR. Here we go, here we go. Light them up. Oh, we're, I didn't tell you. We're in Berlin, 1981 in Berlin at the Rockpalast, Metropole. Here it comes. Stand back. Don't get any of it on you. We, now, I'm going to tell you as we stand by for this to start. Oren and I both know this. You don't know this. this we're actually playing this off of YouTube. Okay, this is something you cannot just hear, but see, and if you're really slick, you could try to sync up with us and watch it live. But at least uh, you're definitely going to want to try to find your way to see this because um, it's definitely a visual experience, too. Um, But yeah, it's it's playing. We're just waiting for this to get going. And uh, oh, yeah. Um, Let me tell you who the lineup is of this particular version of the band, which was kind of a classic version from this period and for a number of years there. Joseph Bowie, the leader on trombone and vocals, he used to also play a lot of congas and percussion. I don't know that he does on this one. John Mulcairn up front on trumpet. 
two guitars, two great guitarists, Richard Martin and Kelvin Bell. Kim Clark, who's ridiculous on bass. She is real and still at it and still ferocious. And uh, Kenny Nitty Martin on drums. Here they come.
Oh yeah, this is Defunk from New York City. I wanna say that.
be in Berlin. This is our first time in Berlin. Big. Uh, you know, we hope to make you happy, you know, with some different grooves, you know? Yes. Hey, you're listening to WKCR. I'm Mitch Goldman. Great pleasure to bring you Deep Focus tonight with Oren Blowdown in the studio. And at Oren's recommendation and uh, my glowing uh, acceptance, we have taken on the challenge of exploring the music of the great band Defunct. And uh, lo and behold, we found this fantastic live performance at the uh, Metropole in, Ber- in West Berlin, I should say, as it was in 1981 when this recording was made. And uh, just took a little tour of the dark, scary, funky world of defunct at this time. And um, 
there's this uh, – so maybe you got a little bit of an idea of uh, what we were talking about, of these dance beats with this kind of uh, – and they were all kind of – people are always trying to categorize things. This music really is not very friendly to categories, but mm. people would say they want to call it avant-funk or punk-funk, jazz-punk something. But um, maybe Orin. I want to hear about your experience with this music and how you found your way to it and how it struck you. Well, I, I'm trying to think. I, I mean, I think that in a way, you know, you were saying that the that the origin myth uh, had to do with the the the, the no wave um, the no wave world of of James James White James Chance James Siegfried. Well, we were talking about that off mic, so why don't you right. go ahead and? Well, my understanding is that some some of the founding members of Defunct were were working for James in one of his post contortions bands. Uh, I guess it was James White and the Blacks, and I, I believe that included Kelvin. So there's Kelvin Bell on guitar. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. I think it was I think it was Vernon on guitar. Vernon Reed. Mm-hmm. And Melvin Gibbs on bass, I okay. believe. All right. Well, I'm not. I'm not sure. I think. I, I think Kelvin. I think Kelvin did some James gigs. You know, who knows what those gigs were like? Who knows? Right. You know, I don't know who who made it to the gig, but um, and James White yeah. and the Blacks was kind of this. Uh, he's a very interesting guy, and it was kind of his like, like East Village punk doing this kind of James Brown bit a little bit, but instead of James yeah. Brown, it was. James White. Yeah, you know, it was it was noise funk with confrontational like, you know, violence going yeah. across the edge of the stage. Um and uh, uh, regardless my path was the same. Was the, is my point that, you know, there were people that I went to high school with that had um no New York which right. was the Brian Eno cop that um, had uh, Teenage Jesus and the Jerks. and Which James Chance was part of. Well, he... Wasn't he? He was, uh, he, I, he was, I guess, dating Lydia at that time, and Lydia Lunch was 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 in Teenage Jesus and the Jerks. And DNA was also on that cop. Yeah. I mean, everybody, you know, at that time, that was a really big deal. Brian Eno produced it. and But, but anyway, and then... Um, you know, from there, the you know, enterprising people who didn't have enough contortions on of from that three tunes, you know, maybe went and got by the contortions, and that was definitely revelatory, a really big deal for us. And and around the time that the first James White and the Blacks record was coming out, I think that was eighty one, eighty two. Some somewhere in there, it it clicked in for my friends and myself that there was another band that instead of being you know white punks doing their riff on funk, it was like black jazz hipsters doing their riff on white punk funk, or something like that. Uh-huh. And um, you know, it was just that incredible. It was the incredible moment where. You would really like. You would always dance uh, at those shows, yeah. And the the dancing and the, the the rhythms were so infectious. But you also could have that messianic worship of of Joe, who who had um, he had so much to say about addiction and 
and politics and and culture and the times and and you know was an icon that you know you could follow um like you know sort of sort of like prince in a way yeah. without some of the more kind of bedroom information but but you know like the music is so incredibly dense there's no um you don't have that that space like we we'll hear some other stuff that's more more spacious but by and large their density concept is it's it's very avant-garde you know these are guys who they're coming out of they're coming out of at this point there's been decades of that kind of you know post ornette coleman free jazz type of stuff where you know you really get in there and you blow simultaneously so even though they're playing on a 16th note matrix they're really blowing and everyone's going for it they're going for it in in like in it's in the model of like popcorn guitar or in the model of funk drums or in the model of funk bass but what's actually being said all the way across from left to right is is insanely dense and you know it's exciting and there's a, there's an irony there between the like you know like Kim Clark Kim Clark is playing the baseline from Chic Good Times her version of the baseline while Joe's singing about shooting up in a in you know in a tenement doorway and the song's called in the good in times. the good times yeah and and that also was New York then right now maybe you want to Talk a little bit about that. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, the the it, if you see those photo sets that people share on Facebook and stuff like that from from New York City, you know, forty and 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 fewer years ago, that that's what New York looked like. It's hard to remember. There were you know bombed out cars that had been set on fire on corners that you would go by. There were scary silhouettes of of people painted in black paint right. in every, for some reason, at downtown, every uh, empty lot, and there were many of them, had one of those scary yeah. silhouettes in it, so you never knew whether yeah. someone was waiting for you in the yeah. yeah, it was a life-size, you'd see a life-size black outline of a person, kind of like a splatter. Everywhere kind of you went. And the funny thing was, if it was a neighborhood you knew well, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, there's yeah, the thing. Yeah, yeah. But if it surprised you, you'd be like, oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You'd, you'd, you'd keep on getting closer, like, oh, God, thank God. Just, just paint. And, and you know, you'll, you, see, you see a block, you know, you, you'd see in those photo sets, you'll see a block like uh, an East Village block, something between B and C with two buildings standing. And, and, and you remember, oh, yeah, yeah, it, it really looked like that. And that's where a lot of those gigs were. Yeah, you know, a lot of the gigs were downtown. Some of them in like fly-by-night places that were, you know, I've been talking about this a lot with old timers. You know, the underground back then was really underground, and downtown was downtown. And um, downtown didn't have much real estate uptown. If if you wanted to, I mean, places like Tire Latino Americano on Twenty Third Street, that was about as far north as you would get music like this. At that except time. for. Uh... Yeah, pretty much. Uh, what was the place? Um, it was a little later. Tin Pan Alley. Tin Pan Alley. Yeah, <laughs> shit. A small, a small enclave in in what was a very seedy area, and and you know people now have no idea what Times Square was like back yeah. then. You know. Yeah, very true. So yeah, and this music really, I mean, what those photos, those great black and white photos and the bombed out cars and all that, what that is to photography, there's an element of that in this music. 
And um, it's really, it's fascinating to me looking back on it. And I was immersed in it at the time. And it still sounds fresh and great. But there's this kind of remove now and this other layer to it because it was describing a world that's not there now. But, um, yeah, well, maybe we should let them hear a little more and come back and talk about a little more. So, yeah, this is a band, Defunct, uh, Joseph Bowie. So we were talking about that creation myth, that this was essentially the backing band, James White and the Blacks. And what I heard, I think Melvin Gibbs told me that uh, there was a gig where James didn't want to go back out and do the encore. <laughs> and Joseph got the rest of the guys together. He's like, come on, come on, come on. And jumped out on stage. We're defunct, and that was where it began, and uh, which I sure is true. Um, and uh, so it's uh, Joseph Bowie playing. He's doing those fantastic trombone solos and singing lead vocals. John Mulcairn up front on trumpet, guitars of Richard Martin and Kelvin Bell. Um, Kelvin's Kel- that was Kelvin with that. Uh, crazy sliding around the neck solo when you hear those glisses you know it's kelvin bell yes because nobody else does that does those kind of manic liquid glisses that just that just keep on uh he just keeps on attacking the string like repeatedly in this in this way it's a really amazing signature thing that he has i, I love his comping rhythm too it's completely oh, unlike anybody else yeah he plays those open articulated chords with, and picking the notes, it's kind of it's a very like West African almost mm. kind of sound. Uh, Kim Clark tearing it up on bass, and Kenny Martin on the drums. And uh, we're in Berlin, West Berlin, 1981. Deep focus with Oren Blodow and me, Mitch Goldman on WK. Let's see if we can get this going again. CR. Oh yeah. <laughs> Anyway, say cars gonna get ya, gonna get ya. Avoid the fuck, say cars gonna get ya. Anyway, cars gonna get ya, gonna get ya. Avoid the fuck, say cars gonna get ya. Anyway, say cars gonna get ya, gonna get ya. Avoid the fuck, say cars gonna get ya. Anyway, cars gonna get ya.
Uh, I, I don't, I don't want to waste too much time. I want to play me. I don't want to waste too much time. I'm not going to waste too much time talking.
not only are you in Berlin, Berlin, West Berlin, but uh, it's 1981, and you're still listening to WKCR. I'm Mitch, Mitch Goldman. I have the great pleasure of having Oren Blowdown in the studio with me. The show's called Deep Focus, and our Deep Focus, selected by Oren. Hi. <laughs> the band Defunct, and um, we're just... Uh, off mic here, reveling in in the uh, what these musicians are doing together. It's pretty astonishing. Um, you were telling us about your doorway into this music, mm-hmm. and um, maybe you can. Uh, now that we've heard a few songs, maybe you can, as a musician. Now, I don't know if you that. How were you already serious about playing music when you found these guys? Oh yeah, uh, very much so. Um, uh, I mean, would you like to, you'd like to know like how it hit me what what they were doing, um, what what I learned from it, or well, yeah, I want to hear about your what your experience was. I mean, I imagine you were uh, it hit you first as kind of the fan experience of this yeah. thing washing over you. But then at a certain point, knowing you, you must have started scratching your head and going, how do they do that? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely, from the very beginning, I was I was thinking, well, what can I, you know, what could I learn from this or what could I steal from this? Definitely, you know, from the beginning. But, you know, that, you know, that, uh, that arose simultaneously with just, you know, a lot of hero worship. Like, you know, we were talking about how great everybody was that was in the band. So that was always fantastic. And, you know, the people, everyone would be featured. You know, there's so much opportunity to hero worship uh, Kim Clark. At that time, I was a bassist. And, you know, um, Marcus Miller said that when he was in high school, uh, you know, being able to slap the bass was worth as much in attracting girls as um, being great at sports. Work more, and in that era, you really wanted to slap the bass, and um, nobody was doing more exciting things uh, on on stage with the bass than Kim Clark. So, you know, I mean. At some point, I think I despaired of picking up any um, any bit of her um, her mo because yeah. it was, there was something about it that would just would turn your head upside down. You know, even if you concentrated on Kim the entire night, you still couldn't really figure out how she was doing what she was doing. She was always changing her technique from slap to fingers all the time, like every few seconds. Um, and that's just, that's odd. And she, she just had a very kind of yin quality that was, you, if you had a soloed, uh, recording of her playing a gig, Mm. perhaps, you know, you could, you could break it down and imitate it, but I don't, I never knew anybody that had such a recording and, um. You know, so it was just it was just kind of a thing that would just kind of roll over you. But that was basically what defunct did. Defunct would just kind of roll over you mentally, but you didn't mind that aspect of it. 
I mean, you know, I mean, I think, you know, the audiences were basically smart people that wanted to be engaged with in a really smart way. And it, you cannot emphasize, you cannot overemphasize at that time going out to hear music was a dancing experience. You always danced when you went to hear music. I, I can't think of the exceptions. And I, I don't know where, where, that, where that is now. Mm. But even this gig, you, if you watch the gig on YouTube, I think there's a thousand, maybe two thousand people there, and the shots that are far enough back for you to see it, people aren't bobbing their heads; they're dancing yeah. with their feet, hips. They're really dancing to this, and um, and we were talking about the fact. I don't think yeah. we've said this on the air that this band, which became probably was more successful in Europe than it ever was in the states. I don't know if. Uh, there were a number, another little sidebar, there were, at this time or a little bit later, two fantastic records. I think the first album was out at the time, it was called Defunct, and a photo on the cover, I'm sure you remember as I do. It was the hat. Yeah, the hands holding the hat, and the letters backwards. And um, that was pretty much this band, I think. And then maybe a year or so later, Thermonuclear Sweat came out. Yeah. And the first record definitely does have Melvin. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Melvin Gibbs. <laughs> <laughs> Melvin, my apologies. I should know better. You're right. You're absolutely right about that. Uh, Thermonuclear Sweat had a couple different bands, mm. as I recall. Um, I guess they had a couple of sessions that made that album. But um, those two records were breaking and um, I believe it kind of feels like especially from Joe's comments between songs like this is the first time they're ever playing Berlin and I would guess Berlin having been there more or less around that time and knowing what that city's like knowing what that band is like this is like homecoming for them I mean mm -hmm. Berlin was kind of the most New York feeling city in Europe at that time as far as I mm -hmm. knew. Mm -hmm. And it kind of feels like it. He feels he seems to feel at home and kind of surprised to feel at home at the same time. And it seems like there's a real I get the sense maybe I'm just painting this picture in my head of this door opening before our very ears. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think, you know, People, you know, at that time there was a lot of like, you know, kind of funky, funky bands, D kinds of funk. You know, people, right? People were using the word funk a lot back then, and 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 uh, a lot of the music that was catching on that was kind of underground w was it was very thinly clad in funk by people who were were, were not expert practitioners of funk and um, they weren't very close to the trunk of funk that that <laughs> is so true that is so true what you just said is goes right to the meat of a lot of stuff doesn't mean it was bad music right but there was this very superficial gloss of what people thought it meant to play some funk like oh if you play it on a clavinet or if you play these kinds of um, chords or something and it's not about that at all and then if you compare that to what was happening at the same time what Defunct was doing yeah, I mean yeah. you know you realize what a, a, a misapplication of the notion that 
that really was because these guys are I mean they're they're in it and taking it someplace new yeah yeah I mean I think there's a there's a lot of deep American experience that you know African American experience that's that's being expressed throughout on the instruments and and you know of course also in the vocals although a lot of the time I think Joe must have been listening to a lot of Jimi Hendrix for his vocals. For some reason, he brings Hendrix to mind for me more than any other singer. And um, I don't know, maybe that in a way is is one of the ways that they, you know, they had they had a, a tentacle in rock, which, you know, you, you hear that more in, I don't know if we're going to get to those later recordings, but in a few years, the, the guitar playing gets also more rock. Yeah. And yeah, I would say yeah, Ronnie Drayton was definitely more of a rocker <laughs> than uh, either Kelvin or Richard Martin, who's on this date. And uh, remember, they used to do a cover a few years later. Um, they did Manic Depression. That became part oh, of the yeah. set. That's right. And uh, so I think that was manifest. But also something you just touched on that uh, Joseph's brother, Lester Bowie, would talk about a lot. Um the connection and his music Lester Bowie is part of Art Ensemble Chicago very different branch of what is still really the same tree as far as they were concerned and as you mentioned Lester played with uh, Defunct and Lester would talk about that experience of coming out of uh, fife and drum bands bugles marching bands um, you know social music to use a term Miles Davis another St. Louis native mm-hmm. used to use to refer to his music and uh, functional music and uh, music you know um, a uh, there's another word there that I'm looking for that's slipping away from me but that it was part of the fabric of everyday life and you might not be so aware of that when you listen to this band on this live recording but i i'm hear it very clearly now looking mm-hmm. back on it i was not aware of it at the time but i'm not sure if this is true maybe some of your listeners can confirm this i, I don't know um but i think there also may have been some links to the jamaica queens funk community i think that kenny martin might have come out of there well kim clark i think was from queens mm-hmm and there's something there was a world out there where um people were toiling you know you know not so much in the limelight for quite quite some years building up very very heavy you know funk grooving um abilities and uh you know this was one of those moments where uh, but you know i mean you can see i, I you know i it it just it beggars belief I mean, it's very hard to emphasize how significant it is that somebody was playing a non-jazz gig for thousands of people at this moment, and they stopped everything and they played a Charlie Parker tune in you know in in that manner. Like the they didn't back it down in any way. I mean, they would play like you said, they would play a they play a bebop tune and. In every set, at least yeah, one. Yeah, one. I think some of that was uh, just to get a little break, <laughs> to yeah. take the tempo down, because it was usually a ballad. But, um, you know, uh, I mean, it, clearly it was 
part of the DNA of the band, and it was something that meant a lot, at least to Joseph, if not all of them. And this is also something that uh, we talked about, I think, off mic, that, and it's something you said I hadn't really thought about before in these terms. Hearing Richard Martin in this band, I think he was, I could hear more of that in his playing. And maybe that's kind of part of the pathway back to the downtown improv scene that Joseph Bowie was part of before, defunct before, or maybe along with um, the James White and the Blacks and that stuff. And this is a whole other thing we really didn't talk about that much, that Joseph Bowie, okay, so before defunct, there was James White and the Blacks, this kind of punk band that he was part of, but he was also part of Human Arts Ensemble, which was this free improv post-jazz, post-AACM kind of uh, down another downtown New York scene. And it's also really interesting, I'm just putting these things together, that in the very exact same place in the East Village, Lower East Side, where a lot of this you know, punk and post-punk stuff was coming out of in New York, was 15 years earlier where... Coltrane and after Coltrane, Pharaoh Sanders, Rashid Ali, all these people lived there where all of the uh, loft yeah. scene was happening. It was on the same exact blocks. Yeah. So, yeah. you know. And, and those those people would, you know, totally be greeting each other in, in Tompkins Square Park. Tompkins Square Park or Avenue A or something like that in those days was a day, was a place of of, you know, mingling and saying hi between uh you know young um nihilists and older you know jazzers and you know you'd walk past Gunther Hampel's house at you know at at 2 p.m. and you could hear from his windows him practicing the the bass clarinet and if you walked back at 3 he'd be practicing the vibes and if you walked back the you know, at, at four, he'd be practicing another instrument, and Henry Threadgill would be on that street, and and um, and you know, uh, I remember uh, talking to Elliot Sharp about the the um, jazz drummer, I think uh, Dennis Sharp, um, and he and he said, oh yeah, the, I was going to have a band with him, and I think it's Clarence Sharp, E Sharp, G Sharp, C Sharp, you know. Right. Like C sharp, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was there was a there was a I, I may have some of these you know some of this wrong, but but there was you know there was Barry Harris's Jazz Forum, there was the University of the Streets, which is less until, you know, there yeah. was the whatever Charlie Parker place on B and yeah. Tompkins Square Jazz Festival, and the Visions Festival is also you know yeah. kind of comes out of that scene. There was a there was a tremendous amount of uh, avant-garde jazz in in the downtown coexisting with and and informing um, the whole avant-garde funk and punk and, and noise worlds and and when the knitting factory opened it just it, it just planted two giant feet in both of those streams because it was so easy to do because they were already mingling and you would have you know gigs with like whatever Thurston Moore and some you know uh, you know 
wild improv guy and Charles Gale was there all the time and that that was you know that was what made the knitting factory the knitting factory nothing else would have done it it was it was that that incredibly vibrant blend of the music that was down there in in the village and you know contiguous neighborhoods that was you know it was all very underground in in a way that's again is very hard to understand now and really uh, anti-corporate anti what anti-establishment you know oh and i want to say one other thing about those days people smoked in the club <laughs> a lot and it was hot so it was it was hard to breathe like those days yeah. like you'd be you'd be you'd be working like you'd lose five pounds sweating and every breath you took was full of at least cigarettes <laughs> right right you are listening to wkcr fm new york wkcr hd1 maybe wkcr.org we are back online that was a painful period of time first six months of the year people from places like miami that couldn't tune in and um but we're worldwide global once again my name is mitch goldman and uh, we call the show deep focus and orin blowdown was just demonstrating exactly why the show has that name and um orin blowdown you might have seen on some of those gigs at knitting factory then and you might see him now at the fantastic owl in Brooklyn, I want to ask you about that. Should we talk about that now? No, play some music. We're going to play some music. Okay, we're going to play some more music. We have this. This is, man, this is the stuff right here. We got uh, the deep focus at, um, I, I could have chosen this myself, but I'm so glad you did, to talk about defunct and listen to defunct. And we found this uh, magic moment, Berlin, 1981. And what I, I want to say is their first time around and uh, I think it's a, a love fest starting up. So uh, we're going back to the Metropole and uh, steep focus on WKCR. I tried, I tried to live alone, said but couldn't do it, stitched to the had to have someone. I tried, I tried to live alone, but I couldn't do it. Had to have someone. I tried, I tried to live alone, but I couldn't do it. Had to have someone. I tried, I tried to live alone, but I couldn't do it. Had to have someone. Try to live alone, but I couldn't do it. And have someone. 
get on with the music because that's what we came here for. Oh, you know, this is a very interesting town, Berlin. It's very interesting to me, you know, because uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a different vibration, you know, so many countries here, so many, so many soldiers, you know. It's, it's, it's like a message for me, you know. I think we all gonna have to be careful in the near future, you know. You know my president, right? <laughs> McDonald. No, but I'm, I'm very disappointed. I'm very disappointed at the political situation. I mean, uh, uh, every day on the television in the United States, uh, you hear the president saying, uh, oh, we can conduct a uh, limited nuclear war in Europe. Uh, 
That's pretty fucked up, right? Well, I'm declaring war on all jive shit. Love. 
Defunct, the topic of this deep focus from 2016, Oren Blowdown, my guest in the studio, and this generated a bunch of excitement when it aired originally in 2016, and a whole new flurry of excitement about it here with the rebroadcast and this podcast. And in fact, the social media got going and even Joseph Bowie and members of the group, Kim Clark, John Mulcairn, Kelvin Bell, uh, all kinds of people coming out of the woodwork saying, I saw that band. And uh, everybody's very excited about it, including me. I'm Mitch Goldman. I'm your host. And uh, yeah, you know, there is so much, so much to discover. Go find Deep Focus, uh, you can, maybe you got this through your subscription, um, but if you didn't, then you can sign up and follow us. You can always find us on um, our hosting site, which is mitchgoldman.podbean.com. Follow us on Instagram, Deep Focus Podcast, and if you have not done so already, please do give us those likes, thumbs up, whatever your podcast app allows because it's going to help people who haven't heard about the show who would like it find out that we're doing this so i would love to ask you to do that we don't we don't ever ask you for money but we're asking you for that that and check out or in blowdown blowdown 
Oren Blowdow, all the cool stuff he's doing. The Owl Music Parlor, you'll hear us talking about. I think it's on pause at the moment, but I expect that's going to be back rollicking soon with this whole return to activity that's going on. And uh, so that's part one. There's two more parts coming your way. Enjoy.